Thanks, everybody. Um, appreciate that. The, uh, you know, when, they, when these guys played uh, How he, uh, he Loves Us, you know, at the uh, beginning of first service, I was very much overcome with emotion in the same way Nate was just now. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're artistic types. I admit it. I'm a music guy. And uh, so things can affect you deeply when you're thinking that way. But I want to challenge you guys this morning. Um, as we're talking about, um, we're going to be talking about being alive in Christ and being spiritually alive. And I want to, I want to give you this challenge, okay? Um, having that kind of reaction, I'm not saying that every song that moves one person ought to move another person. Not saying that in any way, shape, or form, but I am saying there are certain things that happen to us in this life or that we encounter in this life that give us a sense of God's presence. And I felt that this morning, first service, when I was sitting right over there, and Nate kind of got hit by that second service right here. And if you, I, I challenge you to ask yourself, you know, do I ever have moments where I'm struck with who God is and what he means to me and that he's alive in me? And am I spiritually alive? Am I walking in a way that is spiritually alive? Has God made me spiritually alive? I want you to ask yourselves those kind of questions as we kind of move through our message this morning because um, understanding God's love for us and his um, and letting that touch us deeply is something that comes from being spiritually alive comes from being spiritually alive and again I'm not saying it's got to happen the same way for everybody okay but uh, but there should be points in our lives that we can say yes I know that I'm spiritually alive because I can I can sense God's presence right now in this moment and I know what he's doing in my life okay um, my name's Jason and I'm filling in today for Bill I'm happy to be with all of you guys this morning and I thought I'd start off today with a quick story about a possum um, everybody know what a possum looks like um, this is what a possum looks like to me, okay? Uh, some of you have a cute little animal in your mind. That is not what I have. This is the possum and what it looks like to me. I'm going to tell you why in just a second, okay? They have these looks on their faces where they're angry. Um, it, I know that it's just an animal, so it can't, you know how, but a puppy can look happy and cute. This cannot look cute, okay? It looks angry, and, and they move kind of slow. But the strange thing about the possum is that it can play dead, might be, I mean, I think that's the only animal that I know of that does this kind of thing or plays dead. And uh, they literally pretend to be dead as some kind of defense mechanism uh, where it's like, you know, uh-oh, that fox is coming. I better just lay here, you know, hey, look really mad, lay there dead. But uh, then hopefully it'll go away. I don't know what exactly it does that for. But since uh, possums play dead, here's what you need to know. If you ever come across a possum, which you can mostly in the form of roadkill around here, right? Uh, if you come across a possum, it may or may not be dead. And um, I found this out the hard way when I was a kid. My cousin and I, we were about 10 years old, and we were running around uh, out of my parents' house. And uh, it's, they live out in the country. And uh, we came across this roadkill possum, which is not that normal. They live in a cul-de-sac. You don't see dead animals out on the very often. There's a dead possum laying out in the middle of the road. And like any normal 10-year-old boy, we saw the, you know, we both saw this thing, and we're like, what should we do? So we went and got sticks to poke it, because that's what 10-year-old <laughs> boys do, right? And so uh, we went and got a couple sticks to see what's the deal with this possum. And, um, you know, we, there was no part of us that thought this thing was alive. We thought it was dead, okay? And so I'm as close to this possum as I am to this music right? And I'm just right on top of it. And my cousin, I don't remember which one of us poked first, but the second one of us poked it, that thing went to all fours. And I mean, it started like doing this, doing this right here. And, uh, and I mean, we jumped so far back and we literally just ran away as fast as we could. And um, it was one of those things where this is how I picture possums from that point forward. They are always stuck in this kind of mode forever. So um, it was alive, people. It was alive. And when it was laying there, it looked dead, but it was alive. And there was absolutely no way for us to tell the difference. We weren't mature enough to know that it was possible that this dead thing could actually be alive. Okay. We were too, too immature to grasp that concept until it jumped up and scared the living daylights out of us. All right. Now I want to grab a hold of a phrase this morning from Colossians where we're going to be camping. 
And it's this, God made you alive with Christ. God made you alive with Christ. And it's a mysterious phrase that applies specifically to our spiritual lives. And I want want to use that phrase, spiritual life, carefully because I think each of us has a different kind of definition of what spiritual life actually means. There are different opinions around the room when we say spiritual life of what I'm talking about here. Some of us know that part of us is spirit. Part of us is spirit. That's part of being human. And our spirit is alive and well, and we're hungry to know more of God and what he's like. But there's another group of us in here that when I say spiritual life, you think about coming to church. This compartment that you've got over here that involves coming to church, praying, uh, reading your Bible, uh, maybe philosophy that you're building around what you believe about God. And that's what you think of when I say spiritual life. But you don't think any further than that. And I want to challenge you, if that's you today and you've got the compartment that you call spiritual life over here on the side, I want you to think beyond that compartment of your life as spiritual. I want you to think of a spiritual life encompassing your entire life, okay? Not just the compartment. And and just to illustrate this, I want everyone to sit here and be really quiet like you're being and take your pulse for me. Just take two fingers and press right there. Can you you do that for me? Play along. And uh, if you're like, I can't find it, press harder, okay? Don't hurt yourself. (laughs) You feel it? Feel the thump? I feel mine. Mine's like boom, 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 boom. Your pulse is what proves you're physically alive, right? I know there are other evidences of being physically alive, but what do people do when, uh, you know, you're watching a movie and somebody, you know, gets knocked out or something like that? The other character comes up and checks the pulse. We know that somebody's alive by checking that blood is pumping through their veins and arteries. This is, you know, this is just a, a, this shows, it's a symptom that we are, a symbol. I don't know what the word I'm looking for there is. It just proves that we are, that we are actually physically alive, okay? And when someone is hospitalized, they're often hooked up to an EKG, right? And the EKG monitors, the basic vital sign, it's like heart is beating, okay? And it tells us whether someone is alive or not. But being spiritually alive, how do you find that out? How do you figure out if you're spiritually alive? Um, you know, I think a lot of us are like, well, I am physically alive, and since being human, if I believe that being human has spirit involved, I must be spiritually alive, right? Because how could one be dead and one be alive? Well, I want to open up our Bibles to Colossians 2, 13 to 17 to kind of talk about uh, what God says about this, and maybe we'll start to get the picture of the difference between being physically alive and spiritually alive. So I want you to follow along with me as I read in Colossians 2, verse 13. It says this. When you were dead, now I want you to pay attention to these words. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, or celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And I'd like us all to say together this phrase from verse 13, because this is a truth that cries out for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ to understand this verse that God made you alive in Christ. And I'm going to change you to us, okay? We're going to say God made us alive in Christ. Can you say that with me together? Let's say it. God made us alive with Christ. So that we're talking about ourselves here, okay? Paul was, Paul was telling the Colossians a truth about themselves. So when we say that phrase, we're declaring a truth about ourselves. God made us alive with Christ. It says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. The Bible describes to us right there that we're in a former state 
of spiritual death. Spiritual death. It says, when you were dead in your sins. It was a state of being for all of us, dead. We were physically alive and functioning, but spiritually speaking, we were not yet alive. Spiritually dead in our sins. I'd like you to work hard this morning, okay, a little bit mentally here, at, at, being, at f- separating the physical from the spiritual in your own mind, okay, and, and saying, can I be physically alive while st- still being spiritually dead? Is that possible? I want you to kind of separate those things for just a few minutes here as we think about this, okay? It's a tough concept to grasp because we can't take our spiritual vital signs with the EKG, um, with a machine can't tell us a heartbeat pattern on the screen that shows our spiritual life, that tells us, yes, this is the evidence of being physically alive, or yes, this is the evidence of being spiritually alive, right? Um, the spiritual vital signs are much more subtle than that. But folks, if we believe what God says in the Bible, then we have got to conclude that part of being human is having a spirit, Having a spirit, okay? Our spirit is real. It's not just some idea that we make up to make ourselves feel better about physically dying someday. It is real. I believe that it's real because God has spoken clearly to us about the reality of the spirit in the scriptures. In the beginning of the gospel of uh, John in chapter 3, we read about Jesus encountering Nicodemus, who's a really interesting biblical character. Um, he's a guy who lived as a contemporary of Jesus. He was all about religion, and uh, he was all about learning the do's and don'ts of what it meant to be about God. And Jesus used this mysterious phrase that most of us have heard. It was called born again, right? You've heard born again over and over again. If you've been in the Christian world and for any length of time, you've heard that phrase. Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. He was saying in, in essence, everyone is dead in their sins, like our Colossians passage says. They all need to be made alive. They need to be born again. And then Nicodemus says to Jesus, basically, I don't get it, Jesus. He's like, I don't understand. I I can't follow what you're saying. How can I be born again? And Jesus responds by saying, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So we got Jesus himself telling us how important it is to be spiritually alive. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And I'm not going to get into baptism today, okay? That's a whole different message, all right? But it is evident here that our spiritual deadness or spiritual aliveness matters to Jesus, right? He wouldn't, we would not have to be born again of the Spirit unless it was possible for our spirit to be dead in a state of needing to be made alive by God. The Colossians verse says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He made us spiritually alive. Can we say the end of that verse again and and just really mean it this time? We're gonna say, God made us alive with Christ. Say it. God made us alive with Christ. Now that phrase, the uncircumcision of your flesh, is one that might be a little bit difficult for us to get our minds around, okay, immediately. Circumcision was the mark of God's people. It was a physical reminder that distinguished God's people from everybody else, okay? If a man was circumcised, it meant that he and his family were part of God's chosen people, and God commanded his people to be circumcised and to have their baby boys circumcised so that his people would know, categorically, they belonged to him. That is what circumcision meant, that you belong to God. And why did he command this? Circumcision was an Old Testament symbolic foreshadowing of what he intended to do for all people when Jesus came and died and rose again. When God came as a man, as Jesus, he died for every sin and he provided what the Bible calls a heart circumcision. A heart circumcision for all people. Let me say that again. He provided a heart circumcision for all people. 
And he made a way for all people to have the opportunity to be God's people. God's people were no longer limited to Israel and to those who were physically circumcised. Circumcision no longer represented belonging to God. A reborn spirit being made alive with Christ is now what represented belonging to God. So when Paul says, you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, what he's saying is, you were spiritually dead. Your flesh, your human nature did not look at all like it belonged to God. You were, you were not a part of God's family yet. But God, in his great love for you, his human creation, made you spiritually alive in Christ. He gave you a heart circumcision, and he made you alive. And how exactly did he do this? It's it's right there in the next Colossians verse. It says this, he forgave us all our sins. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. His forgiveness that we gain from Jesus dying on on the cross is what makes us alive. That precious forgiveness is what makes us spiritually alive. The verse says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. We owed it, he canceled it. There's a, uh, at the end of Matthew 18, there's a story about the unmerciful servant. Um, you can read this parable. Jesus tells a story of, it's, it's designed to teach us about how far we should go with our own forgiveness. But at the beginning of this parable, he talks about a king. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And there's one servant who owes him a whole lot of money that he can never repay. And the servant's about to be sold off with his family to repay the debt. But he begs the king for mercy. And the king gives him mercy and says, you know what? Thumbs up, you don't owe me any money anymore. It's okay, you're free. I cancel your debt. Even though you do owe it to me, you no longer owe it to me. It is canceled. Part of Jesus' point of that parable is to tell us that every person owes a huge debt to God that he can never be repaid. But God has chosen, out of compassion toward us and love for us, to cancel our debt. Now, I know any of you have been a believer for a long time. You kind of just know this, right? You've talked about this. Our debt was canceled through what Jesus did for us. But that forgiveness is what takes us from spiritual death to spiritual life. That forgiveness is what makes it happen. God made us alive with Christ. Can you say it again with me? God made us alive with Christ. Can you say it again with a little gusto, please? God made us alive with Christ. We're free from our debt. We're free from our sin. God canceled it. He made us alive with Christ. Now check out verse 15. It says this. This is really interesting because you got to keep in mind what what Paul's talking about in verse 15 is, is Jesus who died on the cross, okay? And when somebody dies, you don't think strength and power. You think weakness, right? Okay, so just follow along. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, it's just really interesting because this, this idea that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities of his day and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's opposite of what people who had watched the crucifixion would be thinking, right? The ancient world uh, knew how to celebrate triumphs, specifically Rome, knew how to celebrate triumphs over their hated enemies and how to celebrate with maximum symbolic effect. Victorious armies and generals would demonstrate to the folks back at home what a great victory they had just won by bringing back the spoils of war and they would have all the loot and the treasure and stuff that they picked up in the war and uh, in the battle or whatever and then they'd have a long line of prisoners behind them and if possible they'd put the king of the opposing country at the end of that line And then at the climax of this big party they'd have, they'd execute the king ceremonially. It's kind of brutal, right? That's the nature of kind of the Roman Empire at that time. So when the Romans crucified Jesus under a sign that said what? King of the Jews, right? King of the Jews. 
they were following their normal pattern of executing an opposing king. Jesus hadn't been leading an army or a serious military revolt or anything like that, but every crucifixion of a rebel king, even a strange one like Jesus, was another symbolic victory for Rome. And anyone looking at the cross of Jesus with a normal understanding of how that first century culture worked and how they'd see the Roman rulers and authorities had stripped him naked and celebrated public triumph over him, they would say, yeah, this is what we do. This is what we do to kings from other countries. It's like we take them out, we show how Rome is powerful, and they're not. But read verse 15 again. I'm going to read it again. As, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, let me say that again, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So on the cross, Paul is saying God is stripping the armor off the rulers and off the authorities. He was holding them up to public contempt. God was celebrating his triumph over the principalities and powers who thought that they were defeating Jesus. And this is God's weakness, dying on the cross, overcoming human strength. It's a crazy backward plan of salvation, overcoming human wisdom. And I know when I say God's weakness, there's a group, I think a small, at least a small percentage in here, like, did he just say God's weakness? Is he implying that God is weak? If you want to think more about this paradox, you've got, you got to look at 1 Corinthians where it explains explains and expands on the idea about the foolishness of God being wiser than human wisdom. And it actually says the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Go read Revelation 5 where John describes the appearance of Jesus. He says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But then when Jesus appears, it says he's as a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Lion and lamb, back to back, same verse. It's an incredible picture of Jesus who is simultaneously all-powerful and weak, a lion and a lamb, a king on a cross. He's disarming the powers and authorities of this world, forgiving us for our sins, circumcising our hearts, and making us spiritually alive. This is how God made us alive with Christ. Say it with me again. God made us alive with Christ. Say it with me again. God made us alive with Christ. Read on, verse 16. Therefore, and this is a big therefore, he's saying, since the earthly powers and authorities have been disarmed, right? Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All the authorities and rulers that try to take over our lives included in the ones, are all included in the ones shamed by the triumph of God on the cross in Jesus. And what I mean by that is this, folks, there are people, whether it was when you were growing up as a kid or now in your life, who try to tell you that following Jesus looks like this. You have to do these following things. There's church attendance, there's reading your Bible, there's praying, there's all these, there's all these rules and regulations we got that say, this is how it looks to follow Jesus, okay? That, that's, it's just kind of human nature. We can't help ourselves. We want to have this list of do's and don'ts. It's it's just what we do because we're, we're human, okay? But when, what he's saying right here is that when God made us alive in Christ, all those things don't matter anymore. All those things don't matter anymore. Verse 17 says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. He made you spiritually alive. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. This is, okay, let me just kind of nail this down here because I really need you to get this in your head. The law, the law, which is basically a set of spiritual rules that we follow, the law is like a shadow cast by a solid object. That's what this verse is saying. The object is not, is not what matters. Let me rephrase. The object is what matters, not the shadow. 
Um, and just to illustrate this, I want to kind of get this in your brain, all right? First of all, just to be blunt and put it out there ahead of time, Jesus is the object, okay? And the law is the shadow. And I want you to set that in your mind before I give you this illustration. My, my wife uh, went on a trip, and this maybe a year ago, I don't know what, but she, she went on a trip from a Sunday through a Wednesday, and I know right now I'm making all husbands in the room look really bad because I took care of the six kids and she was in Florida like having fun, okay? So, sorry, men, it's what I do. But, uh, and you, you ought to do this for your wife sometime. She'll love you more for it. And uh, I can't prove that biblically, but it seems like it's true. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, she, she, <laughs> she was gone, and... Um, I was totally ready to have her back. Believe me, I was ready to have her back. So I've got six children, and well, it's exactly like you think it would be. Uh, but so <laughs> we're, we're, uh, I got the kids out on the back deck, and she was due back on a Wednesday night um, in the evening. And uh, we knew at some point she was going to come rolling into the driveway. But the kids were playing out back, and she comes pulling in the driveway. And uh, she gets out of the car and hears the noise out back. So instead of coming through the house, she comes around the side of the house. And uh, we're out back, and we, we can see the it was evening, so we can see the long shadow walking up. By, we don't see her yet, but we can see the shadow coming beside the house, right? And um, you know what we did right at that moment? We went, the shadow. Let's go study the shadow and talk about the shadow and go crazy about the shadow because the shadow is really, really important. Of course, we did not do that, people. We said the shadow means mom's home. And we all went running around the side of the house and here she comes and we give her a great big hug and it's like, mom's back, yes. So the object that made the shadow, the person who made the shadow is what mattered, not the shadow itself. Now when we were giving her the big hug and saying we're super glad mom's home, the shadow was still there. Shadow was important. And when I, the shadow gave us anticipation of her arrival, right? But the shadow was not what is important. The object of the shadow is what was important. The relationship is what was important. The law is a shadow of things to come. And I know this can get controversial here, okay? The solid, the solid object for us, the person that is making the shadow is Jesus, the Messiah. The law was leading to Jesus. If you read that, guys, now that he's here, those laws aren't condemning us anymore. We're running straight into the arms of Jesus and not thinking about the law because he's the one who makes us spiritually alive. He's the one who allows us to enter the kingdom of God, to belong to God. God made us alive in Christ. Say it with me again. God made us alive in Christ. Now listen, you got to hear me on this. When you're reading the Old Testament, if you're trying to look at the laws and rules of the Old Testament and say, I'm going to follow those, I'm going to follow those, you're missing the point. You're studying the shadow instead of looking at who's making the shadow. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. So when you're reading the Old, Te Old Testament, you have got to drive it through the filter of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're going to be just like the Pharisees and setting up a bunch of do's and don'ts that have nothing to do with the object of the shadow. Do you follow me on this? All right? This is super important for when we're reading our Bibles and trying to understand who God is. If you've been in church for any length of time, you're probably familiar with the most famous verse in the Bible, which is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible. Do you guys know, uh, just showing of hands, do you know who Jesus was talking to when he said that phrase? Just tell me if you, don't say it out loud. Just raise your hand if you think you know who Jesus was talking to. I won't call on you, don't worry. All right, so we have a few people in the room. Guess who Jesus was talking to when uh, he was talking to Nicodemus? He's talking to Nicodemus who he just told, you gotta be born again. You gotta be born again. And, and Nicodemus is saying, I don't get it. And then Jesus says this famous verse, John 3.16. He's explaining what it means to be made alive in him. That's why he, that's, this, this is the context of John 3.16, okay? Is that he wanted Nicodemus to understand that you've got to be made alive in me. 
got to be made alive in me. So put it together. Let's put it together here with our Colossians verse. By the way, just side note, um, I got this picture of Nicodemus off the internet. Nobody knows if he actually looks like that. He's kind of got a Duck Dynasty thing going on. I'm not... (laughs) It's like, was his beard actually that long? I don't know. But uh, this is... Google knows. So apparently Google thinks Nicodemus looks like that. So, all right. I I want you to put this together here for us, all right? I want you to look at Colossians, and I want you to look at the story of Jesus encountering Nicodemus. They are running in parallel, okay? They're running in parallel. Paul tells us in Colossians that we were dead in our sins. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you got to be born again to get rid of that deadness that Paul is describing in Colossians. And Nicodemus says, well, how do we do that? And Jesus clarifies the how by saying, anyone who believes in God's Son won't perish but have eternal life. So they won't be dead in their sins anymore if they believe in him. And this is reaffirmed by Paul when he says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God God made you alive in Christ. How did he go about making us alive? He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's all Colossians. But it runs in parallel with the Nicodemus story, right? I hope you're seeing, folks, that when you read the New Testament and you read Colossians and when you read the Old Testament, just like when you read any book of the Bible, you have got to run it through the lens of Jesus. You've got to run every verse that you're reading through the lens of Jesus because Jesus clarifies everything that we read in scriptures. If you're in the Old Testament, you've got to remember, you're looking at the shadow of what is to come. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's building toward him. He wants us to recognize that without him, we are spiritually dead, but God has made us spiritually alive in Christ. God made us alive in Christ. Can we say it again? God made us alive in Christ. One more time, big and loud. God made us alive in Christ. So why does it matter? Why, does it, why should we care that God made us alive in Christ? And here's, here's why I believe this matters. Um, folks, if we can remember and have an awareness that God made us alive in Christ, it's going to help us understand how we relate to God. Knowing that he made us alive in Christ, it reminds us of his goodness, his mercy, his compassion toward us, his desire for us to be born again. He wants us to be made alive. He made us spiritually alive, and that means something. When we're spiritually dead, it means that we'll hear the scriptures when people try to tell us the good news about Jesus and what it means to acknowledge him as our Lord over every area of our lives. And you know what happens when we're spiritually dead? We can't hear it. We can't hear it. It doesn't mean anything to us. So we just don't get it. Um, have you ever come across somebody who you've been like, I, I feel like I should share with you about what Jesus means to me or you know, what it means, what, what, the spiritual part of my life, right? Let me talk about spiritual life. And you try to talk to that person, but they just don't get it. They sort of glaze over. Um, they kind of just stare at you and, and they don't understand. Or maybe they even get hostile. Following Jesus doesn't make sense to somebody who's spiritually dead. That's why. But when we're spiritually alive, all of a sudden, Everything that we encounter that gives us a deeper glimpse into who God is and what it means to be a follower of Christ stokes a deep fire within us. We get struck with the awesomeness of God. It's why when we're singing, he loves us, Nate is up there crying. It's because all of a sudden in a moment, he, he, it's like he's spiritually alive. He knows that when he, when he sings those words, it means something. It's not just words to a song. It's not a sing-along. It means something to him. And when we meet another follower of Jesus, we automatically know that we've got this thing in common between us and them. And that's why why being spiritually alive is so incredible. And God is worried that he'd be praised for making us spiritually alive. I love it um, when I meet somebody out in the world 
and they say something that indicates that they're a follower of Jesus because it means they're spiritually alive and I'm spiritually alive because, and, and we've got this thing in common. It's like we can connect. It's like, man, we're spiritually alive together. This is awesome. Um, did, uh, did you guys see the um, showing of hands here again? Did you guys see the U.S. divers in their interview after the, uh, after the diving? The, it was the synchronized diving thing. Show your hands. Who saw it? Okay. If you didn't see this, go YouTube it, all right? Because it was incredible. These two guys, this is right after they just won the silver, okay? And they're off. Uh, this is my own paraphrase of what happened, okay? This is not word for word. You'll, read, you'll see it on YouTube. There's this lady. She's the, uh, she's the interviewer, and she says to them, were you guys nervous when you, when you, when you got up there to dive? Your silver medal was on the line. How nervous were you was kind of her question. It was so incredible. Each one of these guys individually said, well, we, when we're doing this thing, we know that we could be tempted to tie our success and our identity to this idea of winning or losing. But we don't tie our identity to that. Our identity is in Christ. And I'm sitting there staring at the screen like, I, I think he just said that. I think he just said the words. And then she goes to the other guy and she says the same thing to him. So you weren't nervous up there? And he goes, well, I know my identity is in Christ. And so that, that remains true whether I win or lose. I'm just going, I mean, my heart's jumping out of my chest because you got people who are in the world in front of millions of people on TV saying, and keep in mind, the people who are spiritually alive watching at home are going, yes, yes, yes. The people who are spiritually dead are just kind of like, no, it's like, I don't even know what he's talking about. That spiritual aliveness changes the way that we view the world and we begin to bond together and understand how we are Jesus to the world because of that. It changes us, folks. It changes us. It quickens my heart and encourages me in my own spiritual journey because I'm spiritually alive too. Second, another reason to keep in mind that God made us alive in Christ and why it matters is that it makes us grateful for his forgiveness, which in turn makes us more forgiving toward other people. An awareness of our spiritual life softens us toward people who we might naturally get upset with or be mad with or, or mad at or who rub us the wrong way. The awareness of our spiritual aliveness, it makes us more Christ-like people because when we are always remembering what Jesus did for us, it just means that we're going to have a tendency to overlook offenses. And it just makes us more pleasant to be around and more Christ-like in character when we're encountering other people. An awareness of that spiritual aliveness is extremely important for how we treat other people. Lastly, knowing that God made us alive in Christ reminds us that we actually have Christ in us. It is no longer I that I'm living, but Christ who lives in me. Um, and I know that kind of sounds like I'm saying the same thing. But what I mean by that is that we have the opportunity with every encounter that we have where we connect with another person, whether it's extended family or immediate family or friends or neighbors or coworkers or whoever we're rubbing shoulders with in this world to be Jesus in the moment to that person. The fact is, I know that sounds like I'm turning the pressure on, like, oh, I got to be Jesus to everybody I encounter. The pressure's off. The pressure's off. If we are spiritually, if we're aware that we've been made alive with Christ, the pressure's off. Jesus is going to flow through us, and they're going to have that encounter with Jesus, whether we like it or not. We, that awareness of, the, of our aliveness in Christ, our life in Christ, will make us Jesus to every person that we encounter. God made us alive with Christ. Um, would you say it with me again? God made us alive with Christ. Let's say it. God made us alive with Christ. Um, I hope we can all walk out of here today with a renewed sense and an awareness of what it means to be alive with Christ. And um, just maybe a redefined view of what it, what it means to have a spiritual life rather than a compartment, but to have an all-encompassing spiritual life and that it changes the way that we see the world. Um, we're, not, we're not kids poking at a possum anymore, okay? We've got maturity. 
We've got maturity to understand what, what dead and alive means spiritually. Let's understand that and decide whether or not we've walked that path. And uh, our spiritual life isn't a little compartment over the, on the side. And, and I want to say this too. If you're here as a person who, um, you know, all I'm talking about here is going whoosh, and you're going, I don't even know what he's saying. That's the potential sign of being spiritually dead. I'm not trying to beat, up, beat you up on that because there's a group of people in this room who are spiritually alive and would love to explain that to you and help you understand it a little bit more. So if that's you today, don't hesitate. You've got friends and, and people, leaders in this church that would be so excited to sit down and talk with you about what it means to be spiritually alive. And for those of us who've been following Jesus a long time, um, a heightened awareness of being spiritually alive will change the way that we view the world, change the way that we view one another, change the way that we interact with people, and it's going to be us being Jesus. And you want to talk about a changed community? Try to imagine, folks, if all of us walked around for the next week with a total awareness all the time that I'm spiritually alive in Christ and that he's with me, and every encounter I have is I'm being Jesus to this person right now. Folks, we'd be changing our world person by person. It would make a humongous difference in the way that we connect with every person in our lives. So I want that kind of spiritual awareness in my own life, and I'm hoping you guys do too. So would you stand with me? Band, come on out here. And um, we're going to close it up. Um, let's, I ask you all to have just an openness right now to if the Holy Spirit's moving um, in a way that, that says um, you need to connect with somebody and talk about this, please do it. Um, just uh, pray with me now and agree together that, we would, uh, that we'd connect with God in a deeper way through this. Lord, um, we want to be aware of our spiritual life that you've made alive in us, Lord. Um, I pray each person, myself included here today, Lord, that, that we'd have a greater awareness this week than last week of the fact that we're alive with Christ. Um, that that would drive our relationships with one another that that would drive our relationship with you, that we'd be able to set down uh, rules and regulations and just rest in the grace that you've given us. Um, Lord, I pray, Father, if there's anybody here who, um, who maybe this is all just bouncing off and feels disconnected from the words that I've been saying here this morning, I pray, Father, that that would be um, um, a little push to help them to have a conversation about what it means to wake up and to come alive spiritually with somebody who they trust. And uh, Lord, we pray you'd work in a mighty way through us this week. Help us to connect with you and, uh, and make us the people you've called us to be. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.